We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. We're not going to let something totally out of our control devalue the journey that you all just went on. And so we always say the only two things that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life from these four years is who you become and who you impact. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats Podcast. I am your host, John Little. Thank you so much for being here with us for another week. And you can always subscribe to the podcast. That will help you know when there's uh, the next show that's come out. Rate and review the podcast. Tell a friend. We always appreciate it. This week on the show, the head coach of the UCLA Bruins, Corey Close, is our guest. And, man, we went so many different places. Just the perfect person to talk to. Coach Close, I mean, really helped us uh, to get a sense of what goes into our program, not necessarily from an X's and O's standpoint, but from what you'll hear is the other 96% of what comprises women's college basketball. You're going to love this. Stick around for every part of it, including about 20 minutes in where we talk about what may have turned the Pac-12 conference around about 10 years ago. I mean, really interesting stuff. Here's the head coach of UCLA, Corey Close. Well, thank you for having me. I, I, someone thinking that they're blessed to have me on. I don't know if my players would agree, but that's okay. Oh, come on now. Oh, come on now. And you've done so well with them. Tenth year as the head coach at UCLA. That's what you're coming into now. And, man, I, I'm really excited to get to see your team play coming up in 2020, 2021. Last year, a really special year for you. And I've talked to several coaches around uh, the nation about how they dealt with, you know, several successful coaches last year about how they dealt with, you know, losing the postseason last year. 
Uh, can you go over with me how you finished up the year with your team, kind of wrap things up, put a bow on it, and looked forward <laughs> to the future, even though we didn't know what it was? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I just think, uh, you know, it was a, it was like a grieving process. You know, it was not a like one time shot. In and we're like, okay, finish that. Let's move on to the next. Um, I do think we tried to create some closure and to give them opportunities to articulate how they were feeling, have it be really raw. And at the same time, uh, for us as uh, leaders and coaches to say, look, we would have loved to have made a deep run in the NCAA tournament. We thought we were poised to do that, but that's not the only thing that defines our experience. We're not going to let something totally out of our control uh, devalue the journey that you all just went on. And so we always say the only um, two things that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life from these four years is who you become and who you impact. And so trying to get them to walk through the year and go, okay, who did you become? Who did you impact? Well, just because the NCAA tournament was canceled, though, we're really disappointed about that. And we're not trying to make that all warm and fuzzy when it's not. But at the same time, um, you know, you really grew and you impacted many others and inspired many others along the way. So tried to have a balance of meeting them right where they were. And then at the same time, helping them have a little perspective about what we're really all about and how we're not going to give away our power and, and experience to something that's out of our control. Any great basketball program like yours has that thing we call culture, and certainly yours does. It, you know, it, it starts with you, but I know it goes down through your staff as well. Yeah. How did just the culture of your program, what you try to instill in your players every day? I was uh, listening to your 2018 speech, which is on YouTube. I'll send a link out uh, when this <laughs> goes out as well, which is which is wonderful. But just, you know, encouraging your players, you know, to look at the positive aspects of their day, even when it doesn't go according to plan. How do you think that might have helped them deal with that? Well, I hope it I hope it helps us win a championship someday. But I also I, I, more importantly to me is uh helping them be prepared for life beyond UCLA. Um, but in this case, we got a chance to practice it in real time right now, life. And it was, it has been a journey because you you talked about, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it really started with losing Kobe. I mean, uh, one of my players last year was one of his neighbors and had known him for a long time and Ali Rosenblum. And then he had been to several games and been involved, uh, you know, in Southern California basketball was such a deep level that in 2020, that, that we really dove into losing him and what that meant. And then, then we go to having the season canceled and then the pandemic. And then we went to the areas of racial injustice and, you know, all, all of those things and, and having a team that's predominantly black women and, and learning to walk with each other in that environment. And, uh, you know, and just continuing on, I just think that um, just bottom line is culture is got it was has been a huge sustaining factor for us and it has been hard it has been up and down um, then you go to you add online learning to that you add uh, um, sort of not being in community see community is a huge piece of our culture you know and really doing life together and uh, doing something experiencing something bigger than yourself and so now we're all separated and we're sort of isolated so how do you walk through that so I just don't think you can overstate how important culture is. And I don't think you really know how strong your culture is. It's easy to talk about. Or you can do a lot of taglines. 
until you're really struggling and your back's against the wall. And there have been several times where we have really been struggling over the last six months and we've had to tap into those habits. We always talk about our commitments, not our feelings determine our destiny. And so we really had to anchor down to what are those commitments, even when there's things we don't understand, we can't anticipate, and we feel like it just keeps slapping us back. In fact, Michaela Onionwede on our team uh, posted a, uh, a video clip of we were playing Oregon State, and she drove into like three people and just hit the wall and got smacked down, and it was completely her wrong read. But she goes, you know, that's how I feel sort of in 2020, right? And so, but I, I, and we laughed about it today at practice, but the reality is, is that um, that's when culture has to really rise up, right? It has to be, it has to provide habits. Um, we always say discipline over default. I think um, if you just default, you go into sort of yourself. Uh, when you choose discipline and championship habits, um, then you have a lens in which you see your team and organization of what can I give, not what can I get. And we really needed those habits. We needed that culture. We needed those disciplines, um, I think, to grow over these last six months, let alone survive. That's just beautiful stuff. And, uh, you know, just what you were saying there right off the top that, you know, listing all the things that have happened in 2020. And it really did. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us that are so ingrained in sports, uh, kind of start with Kobe there. And it seems like such mm-hmm. a lifetime ago. Uh, yeah. We've been through so much uh, since then. It's it's unreal to think that that was the beginning of our 2020. But then, I mean, so many more, I don't want to say, I don't want to say important things, but more broad things have have happened over the course of this year. And and you mentioned how your team dealt with uh, the racial injustice issues. Um, Can you dive a little bit into that? Because, you know, especially considering it's it's pretty much at the end or the beginning of Mm -hmm. your summer, you're not all together, like you said. How did you guys talk about it as a team? What were you proud of when it came to your players and uh, how they have have marched forward in that way? Well, I think, you know, um, you said it mentioned it earlier in terms of having such a spectacular staff um, around. I think. We have said, hey, we're going to do we're going to do life. We're going to be honest. We're going to enter into really uncomfortable places. And we want we have a saying in our program that all of you is welcome here. And I think it's like women's basketball is the most diverse sport in all of college athletics. And then so you're all everyone's internalizing this differently. Um, And I I really was like, I'm a white leader and. I don't have it figured out. I think it was starting with, I need to have humility. I need to listen more than I speak. I need to ask more questions um, than give more answers or anecdotes. And so we, we were talking about as a staff, I remember, I specifically remember the zoom meeting and I said to them, we were talking about our team and we hadn't even gone to our staff, but that we were saying, well, do we bring it up? What does that look like? How, how are we going to deal with this? there was this hesitancy and we were all talking about the team and we were talking about how we needed to be raw uh, with each other and vulnerable with each other and do all these things. And then we realized as a staff that we hadn't done that with each other first. And so we sort of, as I say, swam, uh, get your floaties on. We're swimming in the deep end and we went for it. And uh, coach Tasha and uh, Brown and Shannon LaBeouf and Simeon Sperling, 
Um, you know, there are three black, um, you know, three black staff members who were courageous enough to really share their hearts. And then it was how everybody else was entering in. And that led us to, okay, then how are we going to lead our players through this kind of discussion? And then what does it mean to be, to, to meet them, to listen? And then what does it mean to ha- create action? And what is it, what would make, you know, we, we asked our, our, our staff, what, I asked them, what would it, what would it mean for you to look back on this year and go, I'm really proud of the way that Corey led us. And they talked about having the hard conversations and it talked about making it sustainable and having a strategic plan for an extended period of time, not just when it's popular in the media and on social media. And, and sort of out of that birthed um, a, a group of the students, six of our players getting together and they formed this more than a dream group and created a strategic plan, created a mission statement, a logo, um, their uh, social media campaign, but also how they wanted to raise money and how they wanted to give to organizations to give of their time, talent, and treasure, pretty much. And, uh, you know, so I'm talking as a leader. I mean, I was the worst leader of the group. I I was so proud of our players, and I continue to be, um, how they want to – be change agents, but they also want to do it in such a way that involves everybody in our program. They, um, I asked them, paint me a picture of what, what it looks like for you to think more than a dream really did its job. And one of the things I remember Lauren Miller on our team said is that um, I want, I want there to be no excuse um, of anyone who comes through our program to not have a, a deep understanding of what it looks like to walk in my shoes. And, uh, and so as a result, you have to be courageous to allow someone in. And so we have, you know, we have an Orthodox Jew on our team. We've got, you know, uh, atheists, we've got different, uh, we've got five internationals, you know? And so how do you involve this group of people from such diverse socioeconomic, religious, geographic backgrounds and, uh, with different experiences and our players have led that. So I could go on and on that could take the whole podcast to explain how proud I am of, of our staff and our team and how they've entered into those areas. Um, and sometimes people get on us about in our program about, well, that just means that basketball is not quite as important to them that they would spend time on these other things. I think it's just the opposite. I think it fuels our, our battle mindset of what we're committed to with and for each other. And we fight with and for each other. And so I I actually think it fuels our competition mindset. And so, um, but it's been an absolute honor to learn from them over these past several months. That's awesome. And like you said, um, in your talk, uh, you know, division one basketball players, they're spending 96% of their time away from actual games. It's about 4% that they're actually playing. So how could you not, Mm -hmm. how could you not, you know, concentrate on those other things that, that shape their lives so deeply? Well, and that's what I hope. Right. But I think a lot of coaches do lose sight of that. And I had the spectacular privilege of being mentored by the one who did that best, in my opinion, and that's John Wooden. I mean, he competed at the highest levels. He won 10 national championships in, 11, in 12 years. And in addition to that, um, every single time you would ask him about his coaching, he would say, oh, I don't judge it by those four years. I judge it by the next 40 years. And, you know, we say all the time that you're not coming to UCLA for a four-year experience. You're coming to it for a 40-year experience. And, and that's really because of the mentorship that he provided and the example he provided. But yes, I, you know, I think that 96% is so important. And I, I, I need to be reminded of that. I'm, I'm so competitive and I'm so driven. I, I never have to remind myself to be 
competitive and driven. That's just like who I am. Um, but sometimes I do need to be reminded and that's where culture will be talked about steps in like, what am I, what am I committed to as a leader and what principles am I going to lead, uh, uh, lead by? And, and really that is it. I'm not leading for four years. I'm leading for 40 and, and I'm, I want to spend my most meaningful time in the 96%. And I truly believe it will bleed over into the 4%. Well, I do love that. And, uh, you know, so how does that play out like right now where you guys are back in person for the first time in quite a while? You've been practicing yeah. for the last couple of weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. What does that look That's like right. on a day to day basis at this point? Well, very different than it ever has in any of my, my 20, 27th or 28th year in coaching, and I've never experienced anything like this. Uh, the reality is that there's every part of their normal routine has been disjointed. Uh, now, at the same time, I've really loved our attitude, and I think one of the benefits of the silver linings of COVID is that it's given us appreciation. Like just, I just want to put on my shoes. I want to bounce a ball. I want to be with my teammates, you know? So even though we don't, we're not even in our allowed in our locker room, even though we can't high five, (laughs) even though uh, outside of practice, we're all wearing masks and we we can't have any team meetings uh, that uh, aren't outside right now or in, you know, uh, socially distanced. And so a day for us, we were practicing our nine to noon as our slot. We actually just started school because we're on a quarter school. We're actually in our second week of school. Um, and so, you know, we go, we show up, you know, like normal and get treatment and, and players are in there getting shots up. We start at usually nine o'clock with film out on the court. We're not allowed in our film room. Thankfully, we have a huge 85 inch television out on the court. And so we watch film there and then we get into practice. And then afterwards, they can't really even there's food ready for them. Grab and go. They take it. And then the rest of their day is spent. You know, they can be with each other, but it's pretty much Zoom. Uh, we, we don't have very many. We only have 8% of our classes right now at UCLA are in person. So they're doing their classes, meeting with their tutors, um, all of those things in the afternoon. And then they're trying to be really creative. They, a lot of our players love the beach. They go to the beach. They're doing things like that. Um, they're just trying to find creative ways. Of course, TikTok has become their new friend and they even get me doing TikToks now, which is really sad. Um, but you know, it really is not a a routine like anything I've ever experienced. And, And I really challenged them this year. I really believe the teams that um, are just willing to pivot, are willing to make the most of whatever uncomfortable situation or new situation that we're in, that's going to be the teams that that uh, thrive because there's going to be so much variance. Just the science and what we're allowed to do, just the game routine. Uh, I was in a NCA meeting about all of the changes that are going to be in a game uh, situation, uh, you know, and let alone there's going to be no fans for p- most of the year, I think is that, you know, the all, everything of how you check in at the scorer's table, how you get stats, how you come out, you know, all these different things. I just think uh, whoever can embrace change, whoever cannot get tied into that too much is going to be the team that I think uh, performs at the highest levels. Well, that's a terrific point there. You know, with you guys being in the uh, in the Pac-12, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, for the major conferences, it's been some of the most, um, you know, rigorous, uh, yeah. you know, th- thoughts toward athletics. And, you know, at one point, athletics uh, pushed back all the way uh, till till January 1st. And we'll see where that ends up being. Was that mentally challenging as well and and how did you get over it yeah it was it was really challenging 
it was so difficult for the players to be able to one day we're playing and we're training or get ready to come back. And then there was an outbreak or a spike and, Oh, never mind. You can't come back yet. Um, you know, we pretty much had them sitting on ready from August and we didn't end up coming back until September 14th. And so I uh, just, the ups and downs of that to just be like, you know, just never knowing. And then, then they're wondering, are we even going to have a season? Then they back to January one. And then they're thinking, okay, is this really going to take place? And then all of a sudden it's moved up to, to November 25th and they haven't played in six months. So there's a whole different kind of anxiety. How am I going to be ready? How do we do this safely? All of those different kinds of things. And so um, I think, yeah, it was really, really hard. And I think we're, thankfully we are our, our, the support staff, our strength and conditioning, our nutritionist, our, uh, trainer have been spectacular about really treating everybody uniquely and what, where are they, where are their baselines and how do we get them ready for the November 25th? But you, you said it, I mean, not only was uh, the Pac-12 challenging in the past with being the number one conference in the country and having 18 games. And now we're number one conference in the country preseason again. And now we're going to play 22 conference games, only three non-conference games. You talk about a gauntlet. Holy moly. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, I'm re- I'm recruiting like crazy right now, trying to close out the 21 class and to be able to say, I mean, you're going to be able to play the best of the best year in and year out. And this is going to be this is just the place to be for women's basketball, not only in in terms of uh, competition, but also in terms of exposure. And so what a privilege. I mean, um, we we've really dove into this book called It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Moab um, and about neutral thinking and behavior based thinking. And he talks a lot about there is about that prefer. Um, uh, pressure is a privilege. And so, you know, I think you have to look at the Pac-12 conference that way. Like this is, I mean, it is pressurized. It is um, taxing. And wow, isn't that cool that I get to embrace that? Isn't that cool that I get to be challenged by that and that my character, my skills are going to be revealed through the pressure of that experience? And so um, I think you have to look at it that way. Um, and especially if you want to be a Final Four national championship level team. And the coaching staffs in the Pac-12 in general oh, are just incredible. I mean, I mean, just one after another. I've, I've had the pleasure to talk to several of them on the podcast, and it's just you feel like you could learn, um, you know, two notebooks worth from each and every person. Uh, but totally, you know, in a in the last decade, how have you learned from some of the other coaches in the league, and how has it made you, uh, you know, just a better person? a better coach? What a, first of all, what a great question. I don't think I've been asked that very, uh, I don't think maybe ever. Um, I have learned, well, two things. One is our coaches um, really exemplified teamwork. And what I mean by that is um, 10 years ago when I came into league, I remember us sitting around a table out in Scottsdale, Arizona at our May meetings and just coaches. And we're like, we're, we are the autonomy five conferences. We are last. And we have got to figure out a way how to become first. And at that time, we had a couple of others that were um, that were that are not in the conference anymore. But for the most part, the core group was all t- that are still all together. And we talked about you know scheduling philosophy, uh, not, never negatively recruiting. Uh, we talked about uh, style of play. We talked about how to handle. Uh, press conferences and giving each other credit and sort of, you know, um, you know, banging our chests for the sake of the other and just really singing their praises. 
And I think that, uh, you know, and to be honest with you, I was a little skeptical if people would really take off of their institutional hat and really put the growth of the conference and the strategic plan first. But they did. And look what happened. And so it was a great thing uh, right away then as people and as character people, they I'm, I'm already influenced by them because they we came up with a plan. Even in the midst of adversity, we stuck to the plan and we accomplished something bigger than ourselves. And so I thought that really set the tone for everything else that was going to happen. Um, but many times, I remember uh, a few years back, um, we got the NCA tournament seating. And like, I mean, five minutes after the selection show, I get a call from Tara. Call me. I want to talk strategy and scouting reports. And, you know, and so she was helping me with my draw. And this is what you guys need to do. We played them earlier or, you know, and sometimes I've like called schools after the fact and said, hey, let's um, I'm very close to Lynn Roberts uh, at Utah and said after the game, let's trade scouting reports. How could we make each other better? And there really is. I'm not even I mean, it doesn't mean that we're like warm and fuzzy with all of each other all the time because we're all really competitive people. And I think uh, Gino said one time about his rivalry with Muffet uh, McGraw that, you know, it's not like they're going to go out to dinner and share a bottle of wine, but they have respect for each other. And I think that in our the way that we've run our conference this year, I just think there's or over the last several years, we just have tremendous respect for each other. Even as recently as last night, we had a coaches meeting, all 12 of us on there. And we're we're talking about how to frame this, uh, why we chose to go 22 games and why we've earned that that is not going to hurt us to not have as many non-conference games because of our uh, standard of excellence over the last several years. And it was just really great camaraderie and uh, being able to help each other and but you know don't don't mis- don't mistake it when that ball goes up I mean we want to win period we want to compete at the highest levels but I never think it's at the expense of the human being and or or the expense of cheating or negative recruiting or anything like that so uh, really thankful for the elite coaches both in how they've grown me tactically but also uh, the kind of people they've shown to be Outstanding. Corey Close is our guest, the head coach at UCLA. I mean, just great stuff so far. I did want to dive into your team a little bit and talk about Michaela Onyenwene as she enters her senior year. And what a special one it could be after a very uh, solid year last year. Third team Mm -hmm. All-American, legend scoring and rebounding. Uh, what have you worked on with her in the off season, setting in her mind that, uh, you know, everybody, it's not that like she's not a great player, but where where can she take it to another level, and, and what is she working on right now? Well, I think you know she's. It's been so fun to watch her add to her toolbox every year. From you know the for her first year, she was this undersized post player that just worked really hard and was a great teammate and was a great athlete. Um, to, you know, becoming uh, really great off the bounce and then adding her three-point shot and and then really improving her on-ball defense. I think the reality is now that she's garnering a lot of double teams. Uh, She's able to beat hers off the dribble every time. That's not a question. Uh, but reading the second line and when the defense collapses, how to find the next one and be a passer out of those situations without losing her explosiveness and overthinking it. So I would say decision-making at high speeds and and reading the rotations. I think that's something we've really been focusing on. She's become quite a student of the game. Uh, We were obviously weren't with her all summer, but she was working extremely hard on her uh, her consistency on her three-point shot. Also her footwork. She has a tendency to 
um, sort of maybe slide her pivot foot a little bit. So we really have been talking about, you know, putting the weight on that pivot foot and to get a push step rather than a pull step. But, you know, the, the, the great thing about her is that we do a, we do a pro plan for each of our players and from a mental side, physical side, nutrition side, you know, all kinds of things, but, um, you, you put hers all together and you just know she's going to do it. She's going to follow through. And, uh, I haven't been able to always say that about players, but I truly believe she'll be a top five draft pick. No question. And I just think she's even just now scratching the surface. I think a lot of people agree with you about the top five draft pick from what I've seen. Uh, you've got a large roster right now. You're carrying a, a, a ton of players at this point. What are the good parts about that? What are the challenging parts about that? And I'm, you know, I, I don't know everything about who's injured or who's eligible yeah. or all those sort of things. But it, but tell me a little bit about that. How do you try to make sure that even with a large roster, everybody gets that that individual attention they deserve? Well, I'm going to answer that question, then I'm going to tell you the reality of our roster. Uh, the answer to that question is, I think, it's you have to be very relationship-driven. And you have to have a system, and I'm going to go back to that culture word again, a culture that really values the role of every single player. You know, we want to create an uncommon transformational experience uh, for when the ball goes flat for every single young woman in our program. When you have 15 or, you know, 13 or 14, that's hard. Uh, it's hard to keep that many women happy. I can say that as a woman, right? And uh, so you have to really work hard at that. And I, I, uh, it's not my ideal. If I could have an ideal year in and year out, I would pick 11, maybe 12. Um, but that would be a much better number. Um, but be careful what you wish for, because the reality for us is that until we're able to, we're in a, uh, we're sort of fighting immigration right now uh, because we don't have our freshman Aussies here um, because we that we are we are trying to make a case. Um, we're filing a class action, well, possibly a lawsuit to try to get them here because we don't have an undergraduate uh, in-person class that they can take. So they have not been allowed into the country yet. So that's two players right there. Thankfully, our German, uh, Emily Basur, is uh, she's a dual citizen, so she is here. Thank goodness. Um, but uh, we and we have two players that, and I just want to be truly transparent with you, um, that are contemplating opting out at, as a fear of COVID and have some extenuating circumstances in their families that make it very uh, difficult for them to feel great about in this inv uh, pandemic environment to play. So we may have uh, one or two opt outs. So right now in practice, we have eight. So we have eight players. So wow. um, I'm not having that problem right now. <laughs> so uh, and on top of that, you don't have scout guys, right, because of COVID. And so it's really challenging. Um, and so um, it is a, a different challenge to have a large roster. It is not my current challenge right now. Yeah, I started with uh, yeah one question, and we went way over here, didn't uh, yeah, we? Yeah, sorry but about that. <laughs> no, and that's that's great. That's why we ask questions. But it just shows the challenge that this season is bringing and I, I just mean this the, this time of our life right now uh, right. with the pandemic you never know what it's going to be and we've seen that in sports that have started up yeah. you, you know with uh, with one uh, positive test comes a bunch of contact tracing and uh, a lot of yeah. uh, no playing as well um, so <laughs> yeah. with that in mind what are you learning or what are you trying to glean from the sports that are playing right now and yeah. how that could potentially impact your season if you know heaven forbid uh, there was to be a positive case somewhere on yeah. your team 
Well, I think it's, you know, I think I'm trying to get into our players' minds that it is likely that we're not going to play 25 games, right? And so we're going to do a really great job with everything under our control. We're going to make really good decisions. We're not going to be out putting ourselves at risk. And and this is a year of sacrifice. I think there has to be uh, an awareness that everybody's got to do their part. And you may feel like going out to that party or you may uh, want to go and be in even even at holiday times with these large family gatherings. And you're just going to have to make a choice that is maybe not what you want to do, but you're committed to do for the sake of the team. And so, uh, you know, I think it's not easy. And, and it's why I have really been advocating that the winter sports get their year back the way the same way the fall sports have, because this is this is just not uh, it's, it's not when we were recruiting them, this isn't what they were anticipating. And so, um, you know, so I'm just, you know, I think it's going to be one of those years that um, we're going to have to, we are going to have to learn from each other. You mentioned that. I think the WNBA and the uh, NBA showed us about sort of the perfect bubble and how, um, how you could do that successfully, but also how expensive that is. And, and so that's going to be tough to replicate, especially with how, where we all are. Um, but also the NFL, you know, on the good and the bad, you know, theirs is a much more uh, comparable situation to us in the fact of um, that they're not fully bubbling um, and insulating their experiences. But look what's happened, you know. And so I think, you know, we know how what it looks like to have it work well and we know what it looks like when when you don't. And so I think it's just going to be a, a little bit up and down and, and pe- you're going to ha- find out how much it's worth to you. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to try to protect your environment? And and nothing's foolproof. Just because someone has a positive case doesn't mean necessarily they did something wrong or that they were careless. But I think we have to be really sure that we're doing everything under our control to stay really safe. Uh, You know, so uh, we're all in this together. Well, Coach, wow, what a great conversation with you. I so appreciate all of your time today. Uh, Thank you so much for diving in so deeply with your program and and revealing what you're going through with us. I know it's going to mean a lot to the fans out there, and it uh, meant a lot to me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I just am so – people like you are really important to our game. So thank you for being willing to tell our story, but more importantly, um, all the many incredible stories in our game. And uh, we need you guys. More than than ever before, we need uh, people like yourself that are passionate about our game uh, to to continue to uh, sing the anthems of these amazing young women. And I just appreciate you keeping our fans uh, informed. Hey, thanks so much for that. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. We love doing it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. That is Corey Close, the head coach of the UCLA Bruins, here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Was that not amazing? Just perfect stuff. So appreciate her time. Makes for a perfect podcast guest. And I just want to remind you, rate and review the podcast whenever you get a shot. It really does help other people find the show. And just tell a friend. Uh, if you're a UCLA fan, Tell a friend. Coach Close was on this podcast. She did a great job. Listen to it. And then that just helps things expand. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck. JaredDeckMusic.com. And Aaron Barzilai is our executive producer. I'm your host, John Little, reminding you at the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we're unlocking better insight about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Her Hoop Stats.